and look at uh, two passages that Jesus taught on. We're going to get away from the Psalms for two weeks. We're going to look at um, this whole subject of being a disciple. What's it mean to be a disciple? What's a disciple supposed to do? Uh, that's just kind of a strange word in our culture, isn't it? It's not something that we use real frequently. So I'm going to go from Mark's account in Mark chapter 12. If you want to, tur- <clears throat> excuse me, if you want to turn there this morning, <clears throat> we'll read that together. Mark chapter 12, either in your Bibles or on your phone or iPad, whatever you have with you. Mark chapter 12. We're going to pick up in verse 28 this morning, if you want to read along with me. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he being Jesus, um, this scribe asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hero Israel, the Lord Your God is one, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him and to love him with all the heart and with all understanding and with all strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Father, this morning, might you use your word to speak to our hearts. Jesus, might you lead us into a discovery of what it really means and what you really want from us in life. So guide us and direct us by your spirit and your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. If I were to ask you this morning, what's the definition of a disciple, how well would you do? Could you give me a good definition? Would it be one that uh, kind of rolls off your tongue? Or would it be one of those things that uh, you're not sure exactly how to answer? I like to use this one, and it's this. My definition says that a disciple is one who lives with the passions and priorities of Christ and strives in life to live in the character of Christ. I think when you look at Jesus' life, that's what he taught those who followed him. And one of the faults people tend to fall into, though, is, is missing the real essence of what it means to be a disciple by substituting doing things in our life that are religious. And they neglect the identity piece of what it means to be a disciple. What I do as a disciple must come from what it means to be a disciple. And so this week, that's what we're going to dig into. You know, just a few verses before this, you've got this interacting with Jesus and the religious leaders where they're coming at him, they're trying to oppress him and trick him at the same time on what he was teaching and trying to discredit him. This happens to be the Passion Week. 
when we read this verse. This is the week that Jesus rides into town as victor. This is the week that Friday he dies on the cross. This is Wednesday. And here's the interaction with the religious leaders. A few verses before this, they try to trick him and say, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. I think that connects directly to this great commandment, as many of you know it, in the scriptures. Give to God what is God's. What is it that I'm really supposed to give to God? Is it some kind of activity? Is it some kind of religious ritual that I do every week? What is it that I'm supposed to give to God? Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 12. Whoever believes, which means trust and is devoted to, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. A few verses later, he says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. You see what I'm saying this morning? That being a disciple comes from who we are. Our acts, our works flow from that. And too many people tend to get the backwards, I think, in our life. Well, today's passage shows Jesus in a situation where these religious leaders are continuing to come at him, to trick him, discredit him. And yet, this particular interaction, afterwards it says nobody said a thing. He silences them. This particular encounter in Mark chapter 12 that we just read happens when a lawyer comes to Jesus with a question. You see, he had observed all the other interactions Jesus had with the religious leaders, and now he comes with one final question. Now, lawyers were experts in the law. They were part of the religious ruling parties, the scribes, they were also called, but they were experts. They taught the law. They interpreted the law. They were the big guns. And here's the question he asks. Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus, just tell us what the most important thing is. Now, I'm not sure he had genuine motives completely, but there seems to be an openness in his question. But the reality is, here's what I think they were really asking, or he was really asking. What's the minimum requirement that God expects from us so we can be uh, accepted by him? What's the minimum thing that I have to do to be accepted by God? Or what's the one thing that every single person needs to give to God? I remember taking an accounting class in college. And for you people that are accountants, God bless you. (laughs) But I had to take an accounting class for my business degree. And I'm telling you the question was, what's the lowest grade I can get and get out of this class and pass? And I think it's kind of like this with the religious leader asking Jesus. 
really wasn't what's the greatest, what's the, the lowest thing I can do to still be accepted by God. What's the least I can do and still be in a good position with God? And we're honest today, I think most of us wrestle with that question to some degree. What do I need to do? What, what's God's minimum? You know, what's the pass-fail grade for my spiritual life? So here's the deal. The religious leaders during that day claimed there were 613 laws that people had to follow to be accepted by God. 613 laws. They came up with 613 because there were 613 letters in the Ten Commandments. Now, how they came up with that, I have no clue. I couldn't read anybody that could tell me that uh, reasoning. But they did. How they got that, nobody seems to know, but because people could not possibly keep 613 laws, they begin to divide them into two groups. What are the big laws? What are the lesser laws? What are the most important? What were the ones that weren't quite as important? They really just wanted to know when he asked this question, out of all the most important ones, what's, what's the uh, low bar for getting in? And so Jesus responds in a way that says, hey, I don't even think you're asking the right question. I don't think you're asking the right question as a religious leader. See, the real problem with the religious leaders, as well as you and I this morning, is that it's comfortable and it's easy to fall into legalism and ritualism in our spiritual life, right? It's easy to fall into that. You know, follow some rules, do some religious good things, Try to make sure God's happy with you so you get his blessings. You, you try to manage your life so that God's not angry with you. The question never is, what do we need to do? The question is, do you really love Jesus because of what he has done? Outside of the gospel, we get caught up in a state of doing things, hoping to please God, hoping to manage your life somehow, in this correct moral state that you think God requires, hoping that one day God will smile upon you, and when you stand before him, he will say, you did lots of good things. But we have no standard to measure how many good things we have to do, do we? And so many people get on this religious treadmill wrestling with how much good things is required. When you get on that treadmill in life, you just get tired and worn out, and you keep seeking and you keep trying, and you just get tireder and tireder and tireder. I remember when I was in college, our football coach got several of us a job at a foundry one summer. <clears throat> a foundry that... Uh, poured steel into molds that were made out of sand. And the first day I showed up on the job, it was my roommate and I who got sent to the basement. We wore white t-shirts. They gave us a dust mask and a shovel. 
And we're in the basement of this big factory, and they said, look, here's your job. Clean up all the sand piles. When you're done, come get me. It's like, oh, yeah, game on, right? And this basement full of piles of sand, they give us a big card. Man, we work like, we just worked our hearts off. And about 11 o'clock, 11.30 before lunch, we made it all the way around this foundry. Walked back to the place we started, and there was just as much sand on the floor as when we started. It just keeps leaking through all day long. And we were a little upset. I, I think when you find yourself in your spiritual life trying over and over and over again to do lots of good things, it's kind of like that. Have you ever been there? Keep trying harder and harder. Clean up your own life so that you'll be accepted by God. What I want you to know today is this. This is the commandment that Jesus gives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that you're never going to reach. You'll never make it. But this is a pursuit that will always bring joy, peace, and contentment to your life. You're never going to love God perfectly, but this is a pursuit that once you understand it and pursue God this way, brings contentment. It brings joy, and it brings peace. For some of you here this morning, you might have inadvertently fallen into being a church attender over being a disciple. You know, being a church attender means uh, that's one of those things you can check off your list that God must be happy with if I show up at church. You've genuinely and faithfully attended church, but something seems to be missing. You try harder and harder to be right with God, but you really have no assurance in your life. Some have fallen into the trap of only mentally agreeing with the Christian faith, thinking, well, the if I just think the right things, then that must make me okay, too. I can mentally agree with the things of the Christian faith. Well, that doesn't cut it either. What God has always wanted is for us to love Him completely. And what Jesus models for us in the Scriptures is how to love God that way. Now, granted, He was perfect, he could accomplish it, but he lays out a pattern with his life of what it means to love God completely and not get caught up in the ritualism and legalism. From day one at Substance, we've built the ministry around Jesus and the gospel intentionally. When you understand the gospel, you realize there's absolutely nothing you're able to do to make God happy with you. No religious things. But you realize what God did for you through Christ. And now you're free to love Him because of that. You know, I've been created by God to love Him, and until that happens in your life, there's a void, there's a question, and there's a lack of peace. You never become weary in your faith if loving God is your pursuit. Let me say that again. You'll never become weary in your faith if loving God 
is your pursuit. Because growing in your love of God will always bring refreshment to your soul. So let's unpack the verses. Let's dig in just a little bit. So Jesus answers this question, what's the most important commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What Jesus quotes is something called the Shema, which is found in Deuteronomy 6, and is actually three scriptures that were put together and recited daily by the Jewish folks. They were taught this from a very young age. Parents, it was pressed on them to, to teach this to your kids. Memorize it. Tie them on your wrists. Put them on the doorposts of your home. And Jewish followers would recite this twice a day, in the morning and the evening, to remind themselves of how God was supposed to be first and foremost in their life. The Shema literally means listen or take heed to respond to what you hear with actions. That's different than maybe the way we would hear it today. If we say listen, that can simply mean sit and hear what somebody said. But in the Jewish culture, listen means hear it, take action in your life. And here's what Jesus is getting at. He's speaking to the religious leaders and all that were gathered there. I think he was in essence saying, look, you know how to repeat these words and you do it twice a day. But it's become ritualism for you because you can do it without truly loving God. For us, it might be some who grew up in a church where we recited the Lord's Prayer during church service. Let me ask you something. Can you do that and really not love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's that same kind of thing that I think Jesus was confronting the leaders on. When you get into that mind sense, in a sense, the people were trying to leverage God, if you will. They're trying to leverage God. It was reciting what God had given them in his word without a heart motivated by love. Reciting the Shema obediently could lead one to think that I did this faithfully and in some way God is almost obligated to bless me. I, I did it twice a day. We had to careful in our hearts that that doesn't happen. That in some way we try to do these religious things to leverage God for our benefits and our purposes. And the issue that Jesus is hitting them with is, do you really love God? And the issue for you and I this morning is, do you really love Jesus? Let's continue on in the passage. He goes on saying, hear, O Israel. And again, to hear means to obey, not to listen, but to believe it wholeheartedly and to put it into action in your life. Responding to what you know and hear that Jesus is saying, the Lord your God, the Lord only is your God. 
the Lord is one, is the next phrase. It reads two different ways. One, it emphasizing the oneness of God, but it's also emphasizing through the Jewish language because of the word used here. It means the Lord is our God, the Lord only, or the alone, uh, the Lord alone. The wording changes the emphasis of the Shema that they would repeat from only a particular belief to calling for an absolute allegiance. Not just hearing it, not just repeating it, meaning if I believe that, it's reflected in my life. Jesus is pushing those who knew all about the Jewish faith. He drives their heart back to the central point of the question. What's the least? What's the key thing that I must do to be accepted by God? What's the most important religious thing that God expects? And you see, people could recite that twice a day again, but they miss the point. The answer is loving God with everything you have. Hard, heart-penetrating response. Rather than asking what's the least I should do, he's saying, look, is your heart really directed to God and God alone? The answer is loving God with everything you have. It's not a one-time activity. It's not a daily or monthly or weekly thing that we do. It's a surrendering of our personhood and our heart to God. It's, it's to place him at the center of your life and pursue him with every bit of who you are. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying here that you have to start with God and then you only fit life in where it fits. You don't start with life and then, or life and then try to fit God in where it works. He's saying God has to be at the center. He says, love the Lord your God with all. Two important things here. First, this type of love is only possible when it's personal. Your God refers to a personal relationship, doesn't it? It doesn't say love the Lord their God, love the Lord with somebody else's God. It says love the Lord your God. There's, there's a personal connection here. In order to love your God, you must know your God to love him. Second, the word love goes beyond emotion. It means to act lovingly towards or to be loyal to, as the language states here. A person's actions reveal if they truly love God because their actions reveal it. And so to believe is not some kind of a mental thing here. To love is not a mental agreement. It's something that is reflected by a passion and a priority. You see, the gospel allows us to understand the depth of God's love towards us. It allows us to see and understand our sin and the degree to which God displays his love for us through Christ. It was actionable. 
it was observable. And Jesus is saying, look, if you love the Lord your God with everything, your life pattern will be just like that. See, when you understand the gospel, loving God becomes our response to God loving us, doesn't it? Not a list of to-dos. Next, he says, love the Lord your God. Now, he gives kind of a list of the depth. So here's the minimum, if you want. The first is, love the Lord your God. And what's that mean like? It means a whole bunch of things that are just going to bum you out when you read them. Right? He starts with, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart. To love God with all your heart is not only with emotions, but it includes the very center of your life, your very being. The heart controls our feelings, our passions, our emotions, and our desires. It includes our thoughts and the things we focus on. So loving God with all your heart means our actions and our decisions would be reflected by our love. Loving God with all your heart means you desire to be fully devoted to him because of your love. You think about this, and in Jesus' life, this was displayed in the garden before he was crucified. You remember as he went to pray, and he said, Father, remove this cup from me, but it's not my will, but your will. Loving God with all your heart, Jesus displays an example there. He says, with all your soul. That means to love God with your life as long as you have breath. The Lord alone is your God and only your God until your, life, your last breath. It means that a person loves God to the very end with all their strength. There's a story as I studied this week about a rabbi that was being tortured by the Romans. And he was being tortured and it was a terrible time, but his disciples were gathered around him and as he was being tortured by the Romans, he begins to recite the Shema, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And his disciples cry out to him and say, Rabbi, why now? Why now? Do you recite this? And he says, for all of my life, I wonder what it meant to love God as long as I have breath. And today I have the privilege in the presence of God to do that. Love the Lord God with all your soul, right up to your very last breath. With all your mind means <clears throat> to love God in a way that changes our thought process means we love God by submitting our thought patterns, our opinions, and our decisions to his word. It's desiring to bring every thought captive and submission to God and his word. To take thought every captive, weighing it as if God is the standard and therefore the decisions I make reflect who God is. And he says, with all your strength, and this is almost a summary piece here, to say, hey, if I left every, anything out, let me just say it's everything. To love God with all your strength literally means to love God with all your muchness. With all your muchness. It includes your strengths, your abilities, and your resources. 
with resources. It means we desire to love God with all we possess, our job, our family, our time, our money, everything. We say is yours, God, because I love you. You have full right to claim it as yours. So the very first part of this message, Jesus gives them the command or answers. Here's the most important thing, love God. And the second part of this is you, how much? With everything. Not an activity. You see why this morning I said this is something that we can never reach? I, I mean, man, on my very best day, I fall so short in these. Loving God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. So why would Christ say this? Remember, he's speaking and saying, here's the trajectory for your life and what it looks like to love God. Not that you're going to do it perfectly. You can't. You have sinfulness in our hearts. But this is the trajectory in your life. We never make it. It's not a burdensome thing, though, because it brings refreshment to my soul when God is at the center and it is he and he alone they attempt to love. You think of what Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you what? Rest. He said he was the living water and the bread of life and anyone who comes to him would never go hungry and never be thirsty again. There would be rest and rest for our souls. Loving God does not bring fatigue but refreshment in closing out this morning the last part of this great command that Jesus gives is this he says to love others as you love yourself now an interesting thing here this great commandment appears in Matthew Mark and Luke but they're two separate accounts Matthew and Luke record the same thing happening at the same time in Passion Week. Luke's account does not take place then and includes, includes the Samaritan story. Remember the good Samaritan where somebody is uh, beaten and broken and who helps them, the religious leaders or the Samaritan? Jesus uses the Samaritan story on a different time to teach this portion of what it means. So, love for others naturally stems from when we love God with everything listed above. You can't say you love God and not love people who are created by God. And the religious leaders did not follow this. I'm going to read sometime, look at how the oppression of religious leaders of that time treated the people. Well, we just discovered that the first part this morning, they came up with 613 laws. That was burdensome. They were cruel. They lorded them over people. They were unfair. They were unjust. They lived for their own personal gain. And look how they treated Jesus. They certainly didn't practice love others. Love your neighbor means that everyone in essence is our neighbor. 
It means genuinely we care for them and we look to care for them. And it's looking past ourselves to invest in loving other people. Now, we got a big convention going on in Cleveland this week. There'll be a big convention, is it the week after? And there's going to be protesters and there'll be all kinds of things taking place. We watch the news and there's terrorists. I mean, you look at this and it's not easy to think, I hate some of those people. And to love others the way Jesus is talking about here is to see them in a way that needs Christ and the gospel to the same degree that you and I do. He's saying, don't elevate yourself up here and look at them down here. They need Christ and they need the gospel and they need it to the same degree that Jeff does. To love others as self means you have to get your eyes off of yourself. Life's not about us and guarding our time. So living this out uh, requires us to shift loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and then changing how we see our own life. Life's about loving people the way God does. We have a team in Romania this week and for some of them they used almost all their vacation to go. Why did they do that? I, I'm going to say, knowing them, they're going because they want to love others the way God loved them. When I get to Romania, Pastor Benny is a guy that has, I think, pastored and created five different gypsy churches. He gave up a high-paying job in Romania where he could live a very comfortable lifestyle and said no so that he could live and plant churches where he is. Why in the world would you do that? Because he believes in the great commandment. He believes that the people there need Christ and the gospel. Yet it, substance, we have community groups. And they exist so we can live this out in our own life. And one of the things that we have to guard against is going to community groups looking to see what we can get but we go to community groups so we can love others and give to them. It's not about us. So when Jesus says, and the second is this, love other people, it means putting them first and, and living in such a way that that's reflected by the love of God in your own heart. Our community groups exist to love those outside of our groups. Looking in our community, looking at our neighbors, looking at our friends. How are we going to show love to them in a way that Christ would have showed love? I know that's always a hard balance because we like to set these pretty rigid rules where I can love them if they get their self cleaned up first. Praise Jesus, that's not how he accepted us. Amen? No, it's going to them and speaking to their hearts with the gospel. We love people as God loves them by taking the gospel to our homes, our cities, our states, and our world. And how you do that, we well, have to love people in such a way that our heart would reflect the very heart of God, that, that you would view them through the same lens that God does in need of a savior, lost without hope to fight sin. 
And look at how the text ends finally. And Jesus saw that he, religious leader, the lawyer, had answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. That's how this ends. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Nobody dares ask Jesus any more questions. You see, the doing piece was their stumbling block. Doing things without a heart that truly loved God. The lawgiver, the religious leaders, those who thought they'd had it all together, and Jesus says, hey, you're not far. But you know what that means? You're not that near either. You're not in. You know, you can continue to live out doing all the religious stuff that you know, but you're not in because you don't love God. You don't love Christ and the gospel. Wow. Wow. That, that confrontation of the heart by Jesus had to be a painful experience but required for them to make a decision. The same decision Jeff had to make, the same decision as you have to make. Are you going to continue on trying to do religious things and get tired and weary and lose hope at times? Or are you going to simply surrender and say, I just want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I fall miserably short of that, but praise Jesus that he made a way that I can do that and be accepted. So the question for us today is how are you doing at loving God? All of us. Yeah, good days, bad days. Yep, Jeff's in that camp. Have you substituted church for loving Christ? One of the things I've noticed about Ashland is we're a pretty churched town. There's a lot of churches. And we have to be careful that we just don't substitute going to church for loving Christ. Now, what's holding you back in loving God with everything in your life? We all have them. All of us. What are you afraid of giving over? Are you seeking the minimum requirement and God is making you restless because you know he wants you to love him really and not focus on doing some things? Are you loving others the way God does? Is there anger, bitterness, or lack of love in your heart to those who need Christ? And how are you doing at loving those God has placed in your life? How are you doing at loving the substance family also? Have you isolated yourself or are you connected through a community group? Have you said, look, I do my Sunday thing and that's it? I just give a personal testimony. I love my community group because... Uh, it, it, it is so helpful in my own Christian walk to have somebody say, how you doing? You had something happening this week. I prayed for you. Why are you wrestling with that? Let's look at Scripture together. What's God want us to give Him? All of ourself. Your life, right? That's the answer. What's the minimum? Give them all your life. That's bigger than any task. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank you that uh, 
You love us with an unfailing love. Thank you this morning that as we look at your word, you have given us that word so that it points to you and helps us understand who you are in Christ. Thank you this morning that you hit our very heart with the very thing that you hit these religious leaders' hearts with. Forgive us for those times in which we ask the wrong question. What's the minimum thing I have to do? Forgive us when we substitute doing religious things, ritualism or legalism, for truly pursuing you and loving you. Oh God, for your mercy that just gives us more chances and more chances and more chances as we fail at loving you completely. You remind us that when you are the focus, when you are the pursuit and us loving you is the goal, there's no fatigue in that because loving you more and more will always bring refreshment to our souls. Thank you for that. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.